maybe bring some or give some money towards it. And uh, we send the gals shopping and, and just try to make up nice baskets of food for folks. And folks are usually appreciative and thankful. Okay, we need to look at 1 Thessalonians and chapter 5. We've been talking about one another and uh, ministering to one another in various ways. And today we want to continue that theme. And today our Today our emphasis is going to be comforting one another. And we're going to look at the first 11 verses there of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Comforting one another. Follow along with me as I read. The Apostle Paul writes here, But the times, but of the times, and the seasons, brethren, we have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. You're all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for your blessed book. We thank you for inspiring it, preserving it, and Lord, that we can have it today. And now as we look to this particular passage, where you tell us where to comfort one another, might we see how comforting this passage really is to those of us who know Christ. We pray for your blessing on our Sunday school. We thank of the ones who are dealing with the children right now. Thank you for each teacher. Thank you for their diligence and their faithfulness. Bless them and use them today. For every worker, every helper, we think of the nursery workers and thank you for them. And Father, we just pray that your work and your will will be accomplished in our Sunday school hour. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're living in a very tumultuous, if you will, changing type society today. Sometimes we personally experience pain, uncertainty, and heartache. We look at the natural disasters. We see what's taken place, the hurricanes, the earthquakes, uh, tsunamis, wildfires. Boy, those wildfires in California. <coughs> I'm glad I don't live in California. 
for more reasons than I can mention, but that's one of them. Given the choice, we would almost choose comfort over pain. But the truth is this, pain is inevitable in our lives. When people go through trials in their life, they turn to all kinds of therapy trying to find comfort. Some are, will, will turn to shopping. How many of you know somebody that uses shopping as their, as their encouragement? Any of you? I've known some people like that. And uh, Walmart's just their favorite place. But sometimes people are looking for comfort and they have different ways of finding it. It can be shopping, it can be yoga, it can be uh, drugs, it can be food. How many of you have a comfort food and you're willing to admit it? <laughs> yeah. Ah, I have one that I've had to really try to ice cream. That's comfort food. And, uh, but it also is wardrobe-destroying food, so you got to be real careful. But at any rate, whatever their choice of therapy is, uh, the aim is the same, and that's that they might dull their pain. Sadly, many times in seeking comfort, people go to the wrong place. As believers, we've been blessed with the privilege of having the Spirit of the Lord uh, living within us, and he is our comforter, as Jesus said he would be. He was about to leave, and he told his disciples that he would send them the comforter. Over there in John 14, he said, And I will pray the Father, he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And so God has given us the comforter in the person of the Holy Spirit. But then in addition to that, God's given us his precious promises that we find in his word. And that assures us that we're on the path to victory. And these promises also give us comfort. And uh, when you get discouraged, depressed, despondent, all those kinds of things, a good place to go is right to the word of God and uh, get some comfort from it. Today we're going to talk about this text that we've read in 1 Thessalonians and see how it provides a promise that God specifically says is going to bring us comfort as well as truth, which, we, which with that truth we can comfort one another. And so let's look at this passage there in 1 Thessalonians and see first of all the believer's conviction the believer's conviction. Because of the promise that God shares in this text that we've read, we can have a settled conviction that brings comfort to our heart. And what, what is the promise that we find there? It's the promise of the Lord's imminent return. When I say imminent, I'm talking about the fact that we know he could come at any moment. And we see that in the first five verses of that text. As Christians, one of the great convictions we have is that Jesus is coming again. I love to sing that song, coming again. Jesus is coming again. How do we know? He promised. He said he would come again and receive us unto himself. One of the great convictions we have is that Christ will come back. And uh, by the way, he's coming twice. 
He's coming twice. He's coming once to get us out of this mess, and then he's coming later to set up his earthly kingdom. And so we know he's coming. We just don't know when. By contrast, those who do not know the Lord are sitting in darkness. Psalm 107, verses 10 and 11. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and condemned the counsel of the Most High. These are the people who need Christ. Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. And you know, it reminded me, I've said many times, when I got saved, it seemed like the light switch was turned on. And that's what Isaiah is talking about there. Uh, the light has shined. I hope you've had that same experience. Suddenly you can understand things. Suddenly you can see things in a different light. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has illuminated your heart and your mind. When a person receives Christ as his Savior, he sees the light of Christ's glory and his salvation. Christ's Spirit dwells in him, and he begins to develop new beliefs based on the Word of God. He begins to understand the happenings of his day in a different light because he's no longer in darkness. Thank the Lord that we have the glorious light of the gospel. Amen. Brother Scott, would you close that door? Hmm. Those who do not know the, the Lord can't see the spiritual realities of life. You know, we think different than unsaved people. Say amen. We have a whole different perspective on things than unsaved people. And that's because the light has come to us. We've been delivered from the darkness of this world. What are the comforting truths the Holy Spirit reveals to the believer? Well, number one, and we talked a little bit about this, the imminent return of Christ. Let me just stop there for a minute and make real clear my position. I know there's controversy over this. I don't believe that God's children are going to go through any of the tribulation period as far as the church. I believe Christ is going to come and rapture the church before the tribulation starts. Say amen. We're going to see that. You say, well, why are you saying that? Because there are some preachers who say that we're going to go through half the tribulation period. I don't believe that for a minute. I believe if you study Daniel and you study Revelation and you study the Bible, uh, it brings you to that place where you understand we are going to be delivered uh, before that ever begins. Now, we live in the day and age where we're waiting for the Lord's return. And the Bible tells us that we look with hope for the return of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord in our text here, uh, verse 2. Let me get back where I need to be. In the text it says, For you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now, when the Bible refers to that day of the Lord, it, it's referring to a prophetic time that God's going to finish his program with Israel. In the tribulation period, God begins to deal with Israel once again. We often say that we, we've, we're in the 69 and a half 
69th and a half week, waiting for that 70th week of Daniel, where God will begin to deal with Israel once again. And uh, he, he's going to send judgment. Um, he's going to send the, 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 the judgment that brings this world to an end. And Peter talks about it. Over in 2 Peter chapter 3, he says this, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. You ever think about the new heaven and the new earth? Now, in some ways, this earth we have is beautiful, isn't it? There's a lot of beautiful things in this earth, but there are also a lot of not-so-pretty things some pretty ugly things in this earth. But one day, God's going to destroy this earth. And he's going to make a new one, a new heavens and a new earth. And in that new one, everything's going to be perfect. And uh, we're going to be able to dwell there. Now, the day of the Lord. There are several events that's going to take place during this day of the Lord. And it all begins with the rapture of the church. And Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself here. What's going to happen in this seven-year tribulation? Well, for the first three and a half years, there's going to be peace. And the Antichrist is going to offer peace for those first three and a half years. But at the end of that, it's going to be followed with sudden destruction and judgment, terrible wars and pain during the tribulation period. Jeremiah speaks about it in Jeremiah 30. He says, alas, for that day is great so that none... Is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck, and will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. And then in Daniel 9, verse 27, and he shall confirm the covenant with many. For one week, and remember in Daniel when it's talking about weeks, it's talking about seven-year periods. And so for a whole week, he's going to uh, confirm the covenant. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. You know, we need to understand something. When the Antichrist comes to power and we're taken out of here, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's going to convince the Israel to be at peace, and he's going to bring a peace to that area over there that hasn't had peace for 2,000 years. But he's going to be the great peacemaker, so to speak, but only for three and a half years. And then, then hell on earth begins. The second coming of Christ the seven-year tribulation is followed by the second coming of Christ. Now, at his first coming, he came in a very humble way. 
He was born in humility. He lived in humility. He died in humility. But when he comes the second time, it's going to be a whole different ballgame. It's going to be the great day of his wrath when the armies of the world come against the Lord in Armageddon and believers raptured just before the tribulation. We're coming back with him when he comes back to set up his earthly kingdom. Revelation 19, it says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as the flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And so when he comes back, it's going to be a different ballgame than it has been. And he's going to come to rule and reign for a thousand years. The millennial reign will see believers live and reign with Christ for that 1,000 years. Revelation 20 and verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And so uh, it's talking there about the ones who were martyred during the tribulation period, as well as those of us who have already been in heaven. We're coming back. We're going to rule and reign with him. And I believe, this is Gilmore's free uh, theology, if you will, but I believe how we serve him here and now is going to determine what kind of position we're going to have when we rule and reign with him for a thousand years. The Bible says, to, much, to whom much is given, much is required. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be judged according to our works, not our sins, but our, our life for him uh, after we get saved, when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And again, uh, we, we won't have our sins judged, but we'll have our life for Christ judged. And uh, so we need to live accordingly. So we see the second coming of Christ. And we understand Satan is going to be defeated over there in Revelation 20, verses 7 through 10. And when the thousand years were expired, now remember, Revelation tells us that when Jesus comes back, he's going to have Satan chained for a thousand years. And so he'll not have the freedom he has today uh, to work in the world during that thousand years. Jesus is going to be the ultimate authority during that thousand years. But at the end of that thousand years, he's loosed, the Bible says, for a season. You say, how long is a season? We don't know. But it gives the idea it's not going to be a long time. Amen. And, uh, but he will be loosed. It says, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle the number of whom is of the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And the fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen.
So we see that uh, Satan's going to have a final defeat. Boy, we get tired of him having a heyday today, don't we? And really, he's the God of this world. He's the prince and the power of the air. And he has a lot of uh, liberty, I guess you could say, uh, to work his, his deceiving and, and dastardly work. But there's coming a day when that all ends. We like to see, hear that song, the judgment song, when Satan gets his. The day's coming. And uh, I believe he knows the day's coming. But then there's a the great white throne judgment. That's a time when all those who have rejected Christ are going to stand before the Lord and have that final judgment. And over there in Revelation chapter 20, a couple of interesting things about what it says there. It says the books are going to be opened. I preached at the men's retreat yesterday, and I preached on our record in heaven, and I reminded the fellows that the records are being kept in heaven. Now, our sins, once we're saved, our sins are not recorded any longer. They're separated from us as far as the east is from the west. But what's recorded about us is how we live for the Lord. Hold your place there in Thessalonians. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians three. Are you there? Verse twelve. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. So that's the uh, judgment seat of Christ. And our works are going to be judged there. And what was uh, the uh, frivolous things and the things we did with wrong motivations and those kind of things all going to be burned up. And, and, but what I wanted you to see there is records are being kept, and we need to understand that. We'll not give an account for our sin, but we will give an account for what have I done for him since I was saved. And then there's a destroying and renewing of this universe, and uh, Revelation chapter 21 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Now, there's controversy about that word sea. Oftentimes, sea in the Bible refers to the, the population of the world, or it can mean a real literal sea. And uh, either way you take it, uh, God's dealing with it. In 2 Peter 3, it says this, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? It's just a shame we spend so much time and energy in our lives trying to get the things of this world without any consideration of the next world. Amen. We allow, the, the, to be, we allow ourselves to be enamored with what's here and now. And many times we forget. We don't give much thought to the fact 
that all this is going to pass away. Hmm? Now, it's nice to have nice things, isn't it? Sure, everybody wants nice things. But we shouldn't get too attached for two reasons. Number one, we're going to die, and we're not taking anything with us. That's the fact of it. You know, the rich man leaves everything behind as well as the poor man leaving everything behind. We don't take anything with us. And the second thing is, uh, we're not to get, get so enamored with the things of this world, we forget that we're to lay up treasures in heaven. And we're, we're, we're not to be as concerned about the uh, earthly bank as we are the heavenly bank. What's going to be waiting for you when you go to heaven? Say, what do you mean? Were you laying up some treasures? I've, I've heard people preach, and, and I don't disagree necessarily. I, I just never have formed a position on it. But I've heard people preach that how your mansion is going to be furnished is determined by how you live for the Lord. That's a possibility, I guess. But all of it should be motivation for us to live for the Lord in this life because we're going to be rewarded in the next life. Amen. Well, and then it's the eternal day of God. Over in 2 Peter, he says, Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Boy, that new earth is going to be totally different than this earth. And there's going to be no sin, no sadness, no sorrow, no pain, no separation. We'll never have to be apart from those loved ones who are with us there. It's going to be a wonderful place. And, and I have not seen nor ear heard nor entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. I believe, I believe, based on that verse, we can't really grasp all that heaven is, is and is going to be. It's just beyond our, our wildest imaginations uh, what heaven is going to be. We're, listen, we're not going to be flying around in heaven, you know, little cherubs, so to speak, shooting little arrows and, and playing harps. Heaven's going to be a real place. I believe it's going to be... Uh, like the original earth when God created it and it was perfect before Adam and Eve fell. And I believe we're going to have a life in heaven. We're going to do things. We're going to see things. We're going to uh, hear things. We're going to understand things. Uh, I don't know all about it. We're going to have glorified bodies. That's a blessing in itself. Amen. How many of you are over 40? You know what I'm talking about. Listen, God, God did not create these bodies that we have now. Well, I guess he did. He created and be forever. But sin has corrupted the flesh to where the flesh breaks down. And for those of you under 40, you will find out. Hmm? How many times do we wish we could do the things we used to do? Hmm? Had the stamina and all those kind of things. And, uh, you know, the eyes begin to dim and, and the hearing. Uh, uh, don't even talk about bad hearing. And uh, all those kind of things, the aches and pains. And, and you learn to get up and wonder what's going to work today. 
Hmm? But there's coming a day in heaven when it won't be that way. We will have glorified bodies. And uh, what a blessing that's going to be. Well, <clears throat> the day of the Lord is going to come. But in our text, it says it's coming as a thief in the night. It's amazing how God phrases things in his word. A thief in the night. A thief doesn't announce when he's coming. He just shows up. And that's how it's going to be when the Lord comes back. When the rapture happens, we don't know when it's going to happen. Oh, I received that book in 1988, the fellow wrote, and he sent it out to preachers all across America. 88 reasons why uh, the rapture is going to happen in 1988. I got a copy of it, and I read it, and I thought, this guy's all wet. I said, why'd you think that? Because nobody knows when it's going to happen. And as soon as somebody tells me I know when a rapture is going to happen, I know that he don't know. Because the Bible says no man knows the hour of the day. And we, uh, we don't know when the second coming is going to take place either. Now, we know this, that after the rapture, there's going to be seven years, but it, we don't know how, at what specific time at the end of that seven years Christ is coming back. We just know that at the end of seven years he's coming back. So either time he's coming, he's coming as a thief in the night. Let's put it this way, unexpectedly, sadly. Why do you say sadly? Because we should live with that expectation. We should live every day with the expectation this could be the day. This could be the day when he comes in the clouds and he calls us up and we, we exit this world and, uh, and we get those new glorified bodies. And, you know, think about this. Wouldn't you rather go by the upper taker than the undertaker? Yeah. It'd be a wonderful thing just to be like Enoch and be walking, and all of a sudden you're in heaven. That's how it's going to be. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in, in, in the microsecond, we're going to go from being here to being there. Mm. Boy, NASA thinks they have everything together when they blast off these rockets. Uh, it'll be nothing compared to how fast we're going to travel. Boom. And uh, the Bible uh, tells us that. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about the rapture and the catching up of the saints to meet Christ in the air. Uh, let me throw this at you. Uh, don't let people tell you there's no rapture because you don't find rapture in the Bible. Yes, you do. You don't find that word, but the concept is there. The same as the Trinity. People say, well, you can't find the Trinity in the Bible. It's all through the Bible. Just the word is not there. And uh, the Jehovah's Witness love to try to confuse you with all that. But don't let them do it. The Bible says those of us who, who are alive when the Lord comes are going to be caught up. Those who have died in Christ, uh, their bodies are going to come out of the grave. We're all going to be together and we're going to go to see him in the air. So the imminent return and the empty promise of world power. Hmm. Beside the conviction of the Lord's imminent return, the believer is also convicted of the empty promise of world power. Verse 3 says, For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. 
We don't know all about what's going to happen when Christ raptures the church out of here. And, you know, we, most of us have seen that picture where it depicts people being uh, taken up and planes wrecking and automobiles wrecking and all that kind of thing. And uh, uh, that may happen. I, I'm not saying it won't. But I believe this. I believe when the rapture happens, the world isn't going to be confused about what happened. They're going to believe a lie. See, I believe the Antichrist is going to have to explain it in some way. And uh, he's just going to explain that, that all those who believe that nonsense, they had to do away with. But he's going to make up some lie to cover. And, and he's going to bring a temporary peace. How long has the world been looking for peace? Since Adam and Eve fell. How, how much time have we had peace? There's always a, a, a war going on somewhere. Great empires have been established and failed. They list several here. There was the Egyptian from 1570 to 1070 B.C., then the Assyrian, 911 to 609 B.C., Babylonian, uh, Nebuchadnezzar there in 605 to 539, Persia, 539 to 330, uh, Greek, and that's Alexander the Great, 330 to 63 B.C., the Roman Empire, uh, 63 B.C. to 476 A.D., uh, the Mongols, Genghis Khan, 1206 to 1368 A.D., the Ottoman Empire, 1299 to 1923, the British Empire, 1500 to 1960, French uh, Empire of Napoleon, 1804 to 1815, Austria and Hungarian, 1867 to 1918. All of these empires, none of them could bring peace. It's, an, it's going to be an impossibility until the Antichrist comes and unites the world. And uh, the world leaders are still saying peace and safety. But in first, verse 3 of our text, it tells us that the tribulation is a time of sudden destruction. Destruction in that verse means death or ruin, and it's going to come suddenly as travail upon a woman with child. So we see that. We see the believer's caution here. Hmm. What's the caution? Well, the Bible is clear. The believers will not be part of the coming destruction. And God tells the church of Philadelphia in Revelation 3.10 that because they have kept his word, he will preserve them from the wrath to come. Revelation 3.10, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. While we as believers are spared from the wrath to come, we need to be ready for his return. God tells us of his imminent return partly to give us comfort and partly to caution us to live circumspectly in expectation. And we're told to awake. Verses 6 and 7 of our text, God expected, instructs us to remain alert. The word, look, look there at those verses. Verse 6 and 7, Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of the faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Listen, it says, the word sleep there has to do with the, 
drop off to sleep, to fall asleep, to yield, if you will, to sloth. When we're asleep, we're not aware of our surroundings. Believers are instructed to watch and to be vigilant, to keep awake, looking for the Lord's return. 1 Corinthians 15, 34. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Awake to righteousness. We should be alert and ready, living righteous lives. The Bible says we should redeem the time over in Ephesians. And that means to live for Christ while we have the opportunity. You know, they... One fellow gave an illustration here using South Korea. How many of you know there's a DMZ in South Korea? In, in Korea? That's called Demilitarized Zone. I had a brother who was stationed at Camp Casey, Korea, and it's right on that DMZ. And that is a no-man's area. It, it's not claimed by South Korea. It's not claimed by North Korea. And uh, it's the separating area that separates North Korea from South Korea. I was just talking to a fellow at the retreat this week who told me he was stationed there right on the DMZ in Korea. And he said, you know, it's kind of unnerving when you look across there and you see that the North Koreans have amassed uh, tanks and, and uh, all kinds of armored vehicles and, and they keep a, a standing army there and, and they're ready to come across that DMZ at any instant. And he says, but, but all we have is a few outposts along that DMZ to stop them if they decided to do that. That's a precarious position. But listen, that's how they live. And South Korea has to live with that presence all the time. The South Koreans live in a state of constant vigilance and are used to observing curfews and participating in, 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 in emergency preparedness drills. Okay, how many of you are over 40 again? Okay, how many of you remember, I remember very vividly being in grade school, and we had to have preparedness drills for nuclear attack. You remember that? And I don't know how your school did it, but they would tell us to go in the hallway, and all the girls were to kneel down and uh, facing the wall, and the guys were to lean over them in the hallway uh, in case of nuclear attack. That's back during the Cold War. We were living in preparedness. I remember they had the Civil Air Patrol. How many of you remember that? Yeah, in our town, they had built a tower where they had different people there on guard all the time watching, watching for airplanes coming to bomb us. Hmm. We were living in preparedness, and we don't have that today. Now, I believe our military is living in preparedness, but the average citizens in America, we're not prepared. And we don't expect any kind of an attack. That's why 9-11 was so drastic in our lives. We never expect America to be attacked, but it could happen. Well, at any rate, let me move on. We're to be alert. We're to be sober, the Bible says, and that means serious, uh, taking seriously the threat of, of what, what could happen and taking seriously the fact that Christ is coming again. It says that we're to awake and we're to prepare. Hmm. 
You know, the first thing we need to be sure of in talking about the believer's caution here is that we're saved. You say, you're talking to the Sunday school class. I know who I'm talking to, but I never assume everybody's saved. People come to church who aren't saved. Really? Sure. I don't understand how they can sit under preaching constantly and not come to Christ, but there are people who do it. And, uh, but listen, that's the first way to prepare is to know the Lord. We need to put on the breastplate of his righteousness and the helmet of salvation, our text tells us. And verse 8 of our text says to put on for a helmet the hope of salvation. Now, in our English language today, that word hope carries with it a, an uncertainty. When we say, well, I hope this happens or I hope that happens, uh, we're saying I, 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 I have the desire to see it, but I don't have any assurance that it's going to happen. But Bible hope isn't that way. Bible hope means a confident expectation. We have the blessed hope. It's a confident expectation. It's, there's no doubt about what's going to happen when we die. It's a confident expectation of what's going to happen when we die. That is our blessed hope. And we're to have that kind of a hope, no doubt involved. We do not have to doubt our salvation, but can be confident that we're saved. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. You see, we, we know that once we're saved, we're saved forever. Hello? We have eternal life. How long is eternal? Forever. I feel bad for the Pentecostals who think somehow they can sin away the grace and lose their salvation. Listen, I read that Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and I give unto them eternal life. He's not a liar. He said he gives us eternal life. That don't mean till we sin the next time. That doesn't mean we have to live some kind of perfect life in order to have it. We get it by grace and we keep it by grace. Amen. So we see the believer's conviction, we see his caution, and then we see the believer's comfort. We're preserved from wrath. Verse 9, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. Appointed means to be set or to place or to fix or establish or ordain. God has not ordained that we should go through his wrath or judgment in the future. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10, it says, When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired uh, in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. We're given the assurance that Christ has delivered us from the impending wrath. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from wrath to come. I really feel sorry for anybody who thinks we're, as a believer, they're going to go through some of the tribulation. And if they want to, hey, they can have at it, but I'm leaving. I have a promise from God that I'm not going to go through that wrath. 
and I'm going to be caught up uh, before it ever starts. We're preserved from wrath, and then we're promised eternity with him. Not only are we blessed in that we're saved from the wrath that's going to take place here on earth. By the way, it's going to be hell on earth. It's going to be some of the worst things that humans could ever imagine going on here on earth. And, uh, you know, I see those California wildfires, and I think how terrible. Tribulation period is going to be worse than any of that. And people are going to have to go through it, but not us. The blessed promise here that he gives us of spending eternity with Christ. And he tells us, for God not hath, not, hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. We obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. And that word obtain means to preserve or possess or purchase. And salvation is a deliverance or a safety. And so we obtain our eternal salvation. How? Through Jesus Christ. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. God's plan is not for us to experience wrath, but to receive salvation. We've been given salvation through Jesus Christ and we'll receive deliverance from the tribulation when we're raptured and glorified in him. We know also that should we die before the rapture, we'll go directly into the presence of the Lord. Now, we all agreed we'd rather go by the upper taker, but if we don't, we're going to go and be with the Lord until he, he brings us, comes, we come back with him uh, in that thousand-year reign. Oftentimes, when we have a, uh, the graveside part of a funeral, I remind people, if it's a Christian, that this is only a temporary place for this body, and one day they're going to be resurrected to a glorious body and go on to heaven and live in that glorious body forever. Amen. And Paul tells us we're to comfort one another with those words over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In verse 10 of our text, it talks about Christ who died for us. And Jesus shed his blood on the cross and died for us that we can be forgiven and escape from the suffering of judgment and spend eternity in heaven with him. And verse 10 goes on to say that Christ died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Now that wake or sleep, I believe, is talking about whether we live or die. Many times in your Bible, that word sleep will be another way of referring to death. So whether we're alive or dead, we're going to live with him. Paul said to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. To be present in the bodies, to be absent from the Lord. Death doesn't separate us from Christ. It brings us to him when we know him. Jesus has promised to prepare a place in heaven for us. John 14, uh, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. Hmm. You ever think about that verse where he says he's preparing a place for us? You ever think about the one who owns everything? The one who has all the riches uh, 
and his disposal is preparing a place for us. Can't imagine what that place is going to be like. We're going to walk on streets of gold, if that's any indication. We see the new Jerusalem and how it's made out of all the precious stones and in its foundation and, and the, the, the gloriousness of what, what God creates. And here's Jesus preparing a place for us. It's going to be a wonderful place. And we're all going to have mansions. Not dwelling places. Mansions. I feel bad for people who want to give up their mansion for a dwelling place. How many of you would agree there's a big difference between a dwelling place and a mansion? I'll just take Jesus at his word. Amen. And we'll live in those mansions forever and ever. And then we're comforted by his truth. Here's the promise of eternity with the Lord, and that comforts us. The word wherefore points to the previous verses, all that he said uh, that's come before. He says, wherefore, we're to comfort one another. The word comfort comes from the Greek word parakaleo. And of course, that speaks, we know about uh, the Holy Spirit is known as our paraclete, the one who's called alongside for what purpose? To comfort us. And so the word here, comfort, has that same idea that we're going to be comforted by the Lord. But because we're comforted by the Lord, we should be comforting other people. We can comfort one another when we remind each other, uh, you know, when we're going through tough times, hey, this too shall pass. Mm -hmm. That we've got better things awaiting us. Five ways we can comfort each other. Number one is to edify each other. In verse 11 of our text, it says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, as ye also do. To edify is to build up or to promote. We edify each other as we go out of our way to encourage other Christians, building them up in the Lord. We ought to be edifying one another, not tearing each other down. Hmm? It's amazing how far a kind word will go. We're to remind each other that we serve a God who comforts and cares for us. So we can edify each other. We can remind each other of who, who it is we're serving. And then we need to pray for one another. Hebrews chapter 13, pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. We're to bear one another's burdens. We're to remember God has given us many promises in his word. You know, sometimes we need to remind each other about some of the promises. When you're going through deep troubled waters, it's wonderful when somebody can remind you of some of the precious promises of the word of God. And that will edify you. And lift you up. <coughs> and then we need to give. We can comfort others by meeting their needs. That's one good thing about our food uh, gathering for the Thanksgiving holiday. We're, we're, we're wanting to give and help folks. And that will edify them and encourage them. And so be a part of it. 
you know, it's a wonderful thing to know when you have your Thanksgiving dinner that you help somebody else to have their Thanksgiving dinner. Life is full of trials and challenges. But as believers, we have assurances of truth which we can co- with which we can comfort one another. We take comfort in the promises of the Lord's imminent return. We rest in the hope that our earthly problems are only temporary and that we'll soon spend eternity with the Lord in heaven. Because we know the Lord may return at any moment, we endeavor to live with spiritual alertness and readiness to meet him. Finally, knowing we're saved, heaven-bound, and promised eternal life, we comfort one another with these truths. A better day is coming for us who believe, and this is the comfort that we have to give to one another in Christ. And so we learn to comfort one another with the truths of God's Word. And let's pray. Father, thank you that we can be comforted knowing the future knowing that there's coming a day when you're coming to get us and take us out of this old world. Whether it's, whether it's uh, by the undertaker or the uppertaker, we know that we'll spend eternity with you, and we thank you for it. Help us to keep our eyes on heaven. Help us to keep our thoughts and minds fixed on eternal things and not be all enamored with the trinkets of this world. We know that one day, whatever we amass in this life, we're going to leave behind anyway. Help us to be busy and diligent about laying up treasures in heaven. We know they'll be awaiting us when we get there. You promised that they would be. And help us to be building up that treasure chest in heaven that we might, we might glorify you and please you in every way here on earth. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, service will start in just a few minutes.